Okay, today we do start a new series, and I don't think it's an overstatement to say if we'll take this scripture and um, apply it to our lives, it will change your life. It's that simple. It's all going to stem from three short verses in the New Testament, which is really one sentence, and it's got three key ideas that center around three key words. And we're going to read it together right now. Out of, you know, we live in a society that doesn't have a lot of respect for anything. But like, can we just show some respect and reverence for God's word? Can I ask you to stand to your feet? All of our campuses, stand to your feet if you're watching at home. We're going to read this together and, um, and we'll unpack it. Okay, you ready? Deep breath. Here we go. God's word. Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And it's found in, say it with me, First Thessalonians, kind of tricky, 5, 16 to 18. Okay? We're calling this series God's Plan. Uh, it's not based on the rap song by Drake, in case some of you are wondering. You've been wishing, wishing, and wishing that we would name it for that. But no, we're naming it for that because of this phrase right here. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Because we all have so many times in our life when we wish we knew, what would God want me to do? What would God want me to do? Shall I marry this person? Shall I take that job? Shall I move? Shall I go? Shall I stay? What's next? And we wish sometimes that God would maybe bring like an airplane with one of those banners flying behind, you know, and fly it across the sky like when you're at the beach and just answer that question. God doesn't often work that way. But what we're going to do is we dive into this short verse. It's like a little keyhole verse. And when you peer through it, it opens into a whole room of understanding about how to live in God's will according to God's plan for your life. And here it is in a nutshell. What this is teaching us about God's plan for your life, more joy, more prayer, and more thanks. Make whatever other choices you want to. Go where you want to go. Marry who you're going to marry. Do whatever, okay? But in it all, always, in all circumstances, be joyful and Communicate with God through it all and be ready to give thanks in all of it. And you practice those principles and you do that on a daily basis, it will change your life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin this series uh, in a, I think, fun way. We'll see if you think it's fun. We're going to move out of the lecture portion to the lab part of the, of the class today. We're going to go to the lab, and here we are. We're going to memorize this verse of Scripture together. Even you old people with crusty brains that don't sponge anything up, we're going to learn it together. And the kids will be like, oh, I got it. You sponge it up in a hurry. But we're going to, we're going to do it. It's nothing better than planting some of God's Word in your heart, and then God can call it to mind for you at the moment you need it the most. Some of you have never memorized anything in a while. It's, trust me. This is an all skate now. We're all going to do, everybody on the dance floor, we're going to do this together. We're going to walk through it, okay, and you'll be, you'll be glad, so play along, all right? Everyone with me? First thing we're going to do is just read it a couple times together, noticing, whoops, put it back up there. We lost it. There we go. Noticing that we've got the key words, you know, joyful, thanks, and, whoops, joyful, pray, and thanks. And then there's a when to each one of these. And the answer is always, all the time, and in all circumstances. Then there's a summary verse, 
and then the, the reference. So let's read it together. You ready? Come on, we're doing this. Here we go. Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Let's break it down phrase by phrase and we'll kind of, that's how our brains can handle it, okay? So the first part is just be joyful always. We'll just put that on the screen right now. Be joyful always. Hey, when, when you, you see your grandkid and they look up at you, or you, or, or, or you see your grandkid and you look down at them. What do you do? You got joy. So your hands might go up like this. So hand motions will help us anchor it in our brain. Humble yourself. Do the motions with me. First thing is be joyful always. We're going to say it three times. Everybody ready? Here we go. Be joyful always. Be joyful always. Be joyful always. Okay, you got it? Be joyful always. All right, now we're going to add the next phrase. Your hands go together because we're going to pray all the time. Say it with me three times. Pray all the time. When? Pray all the time. What do we do? Pray all the time. Pray all the time. Put them all together now. You ready? Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Then our hands go this way because when you receive stuff from God and you've you got, you got to count your blessings and you, they fall into your hands, but then you're also like giving thanks back to God. So that's why our hands go up like this and we say give thanks in all circumstances. Say it with me. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Say it again. Okay, let's put it all together. You ready? Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. Then the next part is where we get the line about, you know, God's plan. And it's like, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's say it together. Ready? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One more time. Put the whole thing together. Ready? Here we go. Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? Now, we've got to remember where to find it in the Bible. We've got to have the address so we know where it is. And it's down here at the bottom. Everyone try saying Thessalonians. And it's the first. There's two books by that name. So there's a one and a two. So it's the first Thessalonians. And then it's 516. Sometimes you gotta get, you're supposed to get off at 5, but you've got to work late. You might not have got off to like, I don't know, 516, 518, whatever. And, but you've still got to be happy and joyful. And th- remember it however you need to. But 516, let's say it. First Thessalonians 516 to 18. One more time. whole thing together. Are you ready? Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. All right. You're really doing it. You're really doing it. I'm going to erase the board now. Okay. Erase the board. Now we'll see who the players are. 
Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. Wait, 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 wait. What time do the Ravens play today? Okay, who do they play? Browns, okay. Now you got your mind off that. We're coming back here. We're coming back. Wait a second. We know this. We're going to say what? Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give someone some nucks and grab a seat. Grab a seat. You're doing it. All right, here's the thing. Next week, pop quiz. Someone's going to say, who knows the verse, and we're going to go put a rando uh, microphone in someone's face, and big prizes if you get it. Write it down, record it, say it in your phone, listen in the car, put it by where you gaze at yourself in the mirror, whatever you need to do, and uh, anchor it in. It'll, it'll help you later. You'll be glad. All right, let's talk a little bit about it as we unpack some of the verses so we can start figuring out what it means for us. This is a section of Scripture found at the end of a little book called... First Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul about the, the year A.D. 50, which makes it, I believe, the oldest part of our New Testament. If it's not, it's the second oldest book in our New Testament. little background. Alexander the Great had a half-sister who was married to one of his soldiers. Her name, Thessalonica. That's what the city is named for. Today, it's modern-day Greek city of Thessaloniki. In those days, it was very, very busy, port city. They worshipped a lot of gods. Uh, there was commerce happening in and out. They, they, they worshipped the gods of, um, like, uh, the, the deities of the Greeks, like Dionysus. They worshipped the Egyptian gods, like Isis and Orisus. And uh, they had religious uh, uh, fervor for the emperor. So in other words, a day a lot like ours. Cosmopolitan city, lots of different people coming and going, lots of religious options on the table. The Apostle Paul has been so changed by his encounter with Christ. His life's turned upside down, and he's so excited about it. He just wants to help everyone know. And so he goes everywhere he can trying to make more and better disciples of Jesus. He travels all over the world on some journeys. On the second of his long treks, he takes some guys with him by the name of Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And as they go, they meet and they tell about Jesus, and, and everywhere they go, they plant these little churches as they go. They hop on a boat, they cross the Aegean Sea over toward Europe, and they have this very successful ministry at a little town called Philippi. Later, he'll write them an encouraging note. We know it in our Bible today as the book of Philippians. You can read about their trip where they went next, which was Thessalonica. It's in Acts chapter 17 in the Bible because Luke, who wrote that book, was on these trips. And he tells us a firsthand account. The backstory is that when they got to Thessalonica, the people received the word of God gladly. They were like, this is awesome. Some of the Jews, some of the Gentiles are like, I want in on this. And they became followers of Jesus. Well, that was going great and things were moving along well. But unfortunately, the Jewish religious officials became very jealous and they caused a riot uh, got everyone riled up to get Paul and his buddies kicked out of town, which is exactly what happens. You can read about it, Acts chapter 17, verses 6 and following. Uh, the, the leaders brought them to the city council, and they say, these guys are nothing but trouble. Everywhere they go, they go around causing everyone trouble. You see, they even caused a riot in our own town. Uh, we need them out of here. And in fact, they accused them of treason, like they're telling us we're supposed to worship some other king by the name of Jesus something. And sure enough, they get chased out of town for turning everything upside down around Jesus. Well, they go down to Berea uh, and eventually to a place called Athens in Greece as well. But along the way, Paul starts saying, man, I wonder how my friends back in Thessalonica are doing. 
We just got started on the journey of faith, and man, they probably need some help and some encouragement. Why don't a couple of you guys go back and check on them? Which is exactly what happens. Two of the guys go back, and they visit with the friends in Thessalonica. They come back with the message of how they're doing and catch up to Paul down in a place called Corinth, and they tell him the whole report of how these people are doing. And Paul, so moved by what he hears, he knows he needs to help them. And under the guidance and influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul sits down to write a letter that today in our Bibles we recognize as 1 Thessalonians. It's a short letter. You can read the whole thing in about 10 minutes. It's not long like Corinthians or Romans. And we can tell a lot of things about what was going on there from the letter itself. We can tell, for example, that they're going through a really hard time. Whatever he heard in that report, he knows they're discouraged and they're being persecuted and they need to be you know, built up. Summary verse of the whole thing is like 1 Thessalonians 5.11 where he basically says encourage each other and build each other up because we all need to be built up. So this is a letter he's writing to encourage them, to build them up, to correct them because they have some questions about things and he teaches them about a lot of different things they're kind of off base on. He also wants to give them hope about the future because they're a little confused about the return of Jesus and um, so he tries to help them understand what they can expect and how to think about Jesus coming again. And then he ends the whole letter by saying, in the meantime, I've encouraged you, I've corrected you, I've given you hope for the future, but in the meantime. And then he gives a laundry list of specific instructions about how to live every day, day in and day out, according to God's plan. And somewhere in the middle of that laundry list of things that he tells them, I think it's about... Mm, Chapter 5, like verses 16 and following. Anybody know that by heart? I, here's what he says. You tell me, actually. He says, Yeah, that's what he says. It's like you know the whole Bible. Man, it's amazing. We're going to unpack some of that now. And we're going to focus in on the first of those three key words, because, man, do we need it. It's the word joy. Because there's maybe no gift that you can bring to your family, to the world around you, to your own self that would maybe make as much of a difference as the ability to cling to joy always. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about joy. Would you like, let's begin this way. How would you like a Joy Primer 101 from a biblical perspective. All right, here it is real quick. Whether you like it or not, here we go. We are created from joy. That's the first thing the Bible tells us. Like in the beginning, God created, and everything he created, he goes, that's good, that's good. There's delight in there. God's character, God's nature, God's essence is not some mean, distant deity. Instead, what you've got is a God of joy who out of love creates and then finds joy in us, has a relationship, Father, Son, Spirit, and invites us into that. It's all about joy. He gives his son and the angels come and announce his birth and say, oh, it's good news of great. Everything about God from the beginning is joy. We're created from joy. But secondly, we're created for joy, okay? Like just as God is characterized by joy, you're created in God's image. And so we're the only creatures on the planet then that, that have the capacity to experience joy and to experience real happiness and merriment and lightness and laughter and playfulness. And 
Our world is laced with whimsy and delight because God has put these divine gifts that characterize his joy everywhere from the way that, and we can all experience it, like from the way a sunset or a baby in your arms or a cheerful word or a surprise birthday party or a 50th wedding anniversary makes you feel. It could be fresh bread out of the oven or a really good tiramisu, but we have lots of joy and delightful things in our lives. And then everyone can get those gifts, but if you are in Christ, oh my goodness, you have even more access to greater joy through being forgiven and loved and adopted and chosen and accepted and restored and redeemed and, and, and comforted. And then when you turn your life to God, it says that all the angels in heaven above rejoice. And Jesus said, I want your joy to be complete. And he gives us joy. So there's lots there about joy. And then the third thing is we're destined for joy. It's like where we're headed all through the Bible, like in Isaiah, clear in the Old Testament, it's, God says, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to forget the old way at that point. There's going to be no more pain and sorrow. We're going to be glad. We're going to be rejoicing forever together in a place of unending delight and joy, and we'll be a people of joy because there will be no more sorrow, crying, tears, you know, depression, cancer, war, division. It's all gone. We're headed to a place of delight and joy. So you get this? This is the joy primer 101. You're created in joy, created for joy, and you're destined for joy. It's where you come from, it's what you're meant to experience, and it's where we're headed. And I just don't know if there's any word that is more desperately needed for the times that we're, that we're living in, you guys. So many people, maybe, maybe more than at any time in history, so many are living joyless lives. Even the data about it is haunting. Kids these days, and adults too, frankly, are living, we're, we're more anxious than ever, we're more joyless, we're feeling empty, we don't, we're confused about our identity, our purpose, our meaning in life, and so we're surrounded by all these angry debates and ideological confrontations and culture wars and real wars, and it, everywhere people are looking either to numb the pain of life or busy pursuing cheap substitutes like skin-deep versions of escape or happiness or thrills that aren't really substantive, that make us provide a sort of happiness for a moment, but still leave us living essentially a joyless life, and we don't even know the difference. And then some people are so immersed in all of that that then they become a Christian, and they don't even know what real joy is because we've been taught to settle for the cheap substitute called happiness. That really comes and goes and is just a cheap imitation. You know, I wonder about you. You know, are, are you living a joyless life? How often is there a joy sighting in your world? Is it uncommon? Is it rare? Or is it a natural thing for like a a river of God's joy to come and fill you up and top you off and, and you just naturally ooze something or is it more of a dry dreariness you feel? How much joy shows up in your heart? Is there joy? Is, is there joy in your life? Because sometimes, we've got to be honest, sometimes Christians are the most famous for being grumpy all the time. I don't know why that is. It's like, good grief, lighten up. I mean, I mean, it looks like a lot of Christians, they get baptized in lemon juice and they just never, they never get over it. Where's the joy? Let's just be clear. Does anybody in here need less 
joy in your life? Anybody? Raise your hand if you would just, you have too much joy and you would like more sorrow and sadness and grumpiness. More, you, would, you prefer to have more anger and bitterness and self-righteous sort of entitlement and depression. Anybody need a lot more of that? You know, it's just funny, isn't it? We all struggle with it. God has such a sense of humor. I've been, you know, quite honestly, I've been kind of grumpy and consumed with some things that I've been got going on lately. I'm not exactly gushing with joy. And God's like, you know, Ben, you, preach the sermon on joy. <laughs> it's like, okay. Because I'm working this out just like all of us are. And I, and I think we just got to realize that, you know, joy is in our society has just been, like the word's been reduced to a cliche, like it's for a coffee mug or a Christmas ornament. It's a little necklace anymore. It's not, it's not very, which reminds me, actually, have I, I carry with me, have I ever shown you the picture of my pride and joy? You ever seen that? Well, I think we got a picture of it here. Yeah, that's my pride and joy. <laughs> carry that with me all the time. I knew you needed another dad joke. But honestly, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, for a lot of people in the world we live in, joy is nothing, it's about as substantive as dish soap, you know, and gosh, it's got to be something more important than that. So let's begin right here. Let's begin by being honest, and that is to say that the words we memorized in our memory verse, be joyful, that's ridiculous. Can we be honest to admit that? It's not realistic. Be joyful always, always. Got a text from a good friend this week whose adult son and his wife had a baby, was born premature, there's no brain activity, and their worlds are just upside down, and she's just wrecked watching her son and his pain and despondency. It's like a nightmare that won't end. I got a call this week, or last week from a friend of mine, lifelong friend, grew up with him, went to camp together, went to, roomed in college with him. My age called and said, uh, Ben, I, I thought I'd tell you that I've been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and it's progressing very rapidly. I, I already can't spell words over four letters and remember where I put anything and I've had to stop working, driving. His daughter just got married, but he knows if she has kids, he'll never know them. And I got another call moments later from a friend who's a pastor at another church in ministry. He said, I regret to inform you, I've, I've had an affair. He just threw a hand grenade right in the middle of his family and the church and everything's all blown up. My nephew, his job got discontinued last week as well. And then we're all dealing with so many other losses. And maybe I'm still feeling the loss of my dad. And I had a bad day at the office last week and my knee hurts sometimes. Be joyful always? So one thing's for sure. Either the Bible is delusional, okay, like unrealistic, out of touch with reality, doesn't even know what it's talking about, or we have to rethink what joy actually is and what it looks like. Those are the only two options. So that's why some people who are Christians choose to just fake it, and they just plaster a happy smile over everything. How you doing? Great. Too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> well, wait a second. I, I thought your dog died this week. I thought your 
trailer caught on fire and your girl left you. Well, that's all right, you know. God's good and I'm blessed and happy. Why do we do that? We do it because we don't think real faith can stand up to real life, I think. That's just fake and surface level and we don't need to act that way. Jesus wept and you can too, but somehow he didn't lose his joy. Let me put, one of my favorite theologians is Lewis Smedes. Here's something he says I think is so true. You and I are created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. If our joy is honest joy, it must somehow be congruous with human tragedy. This is the test of joy's integrity. Is it compatible with pain? Only the heart that hurts has a right to joy. So the thing that jumps out at me when I read the memory verse is, did you notice it's a command, be joyful. It's in, in, in the language, it's an imperative, meaning it tells us then that joy is a choice. It says, choose it, do it, be joyful, pray, give thanks. Because we're used to thinking about, well, joy and thanks, those are things I can do if things are going well. I'm happy and thank you. And then when things are going really bad, if I get desperate enough, I might pray. And he's saying, no, all the time, always, and in every circumstance, do all three. It's a command, which changes the perspective and is the great insight that we need. Imagine if you didn't just pray as a last resort or give thanks only when things were well or found joy if circumstances were lining up well, but if you could, even in tough times, have something real to hold on to called joy. Most of what I want to say to you can be summed up in this next slide. It's got three, three sentences I want to give it all to you right now. This is it. Friends, don't confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is not a bad thing. It's just different. It's shallow and surface level and comes and goes. So don't confuse the two. They're not the same. And second, don't tether your joy, don't tie it to your circumstances. Because joy is a gift but it's also a choice. The reason Paul can say be joyful is he's not saying try to act happy or feel happy. He's not talking about emotions at all. The word happiness comes from the same root word as happening because the truth is happiness is based on what happens to you, some of which you have no control over. So you're happy when, things, when your happenstances are good. When I was young and dumb with Tom Moen, we used to sketch. Some of you don't know what that is because you didn't grow up in Minnesota where the roads are snow and ice packed. And you get in the parking lot or something like that, you squat down, hold on to a bumper of a car, and off they go. And you just sketch behind it. You ski and hitch a ride. It's really fun and really dangerous. But if the car goes left, where do I go? Left, unless I let go, in which case I go right really fast. But stay with me. If the car goes left, I go I'm holding on. Where does the car, if the car goes right, where do I go? If the car goes fast, where do I go? If the car stops, what do I do? I hit my head on the trunk, right. So a lot of people, that car is their circumstances. And as long as the car is going in a good direction, everything's great. You know, I got a ride. I got, I, got a, I got a raise this week. Awesome, I'm happy. I got a new shirt. I'm happy. It's based on circumstance. Paid my, paid my car off. I'm happy. I went to... Chick-fil-A, I got a milkshake and a massage today. I'm happy. The only problem with that is that's all nice stuff and it's good. It's just not enough to build your life on because some days suck. 
and the bottom drops out and your car breaks down and you get a bad review and stuff happens and happiness exits in that scenario. We've got to tether ourselves not to the circumstance, not to the car of circumstances that leads us wherever it's going to go. You're not even driving that car. So you tether yourself to something much more robust like Jesus Christ. That's what joy is. Joy is not the same as happiness. It's bigger, it's stronger, it defies circumstances. That's why that's why you, 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 can, you can have joy in every circumstance. Joy, happiness depends on your circumstances, but joy defies it. Joy defies it. Before Paul was in Thessalonica, he was at a town called Philippi, remember? And guess where he is when he writes the letter to the Philippians? In a jail cell, rotting away. And it's there that he says in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Always. You didn't hear me? Don't believe me? I'll say it again. Rejoice, he says. Same guy. And a few verses later, verse 11, he says, as he's sitting in jail, says, I've learned some things sitting in this prison cell. One thing I've learned is to be content whatever the circumstances. There's a guy who has not tethered his joy to the car of circumstances because he knew that whatever happened, I still can find joy because God's going to supply my needs. He's going to take care of me. I can find contentment. And you can say with that old prophet from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Friends, we need that strength. We need to be able to have a joy that's strong. You can have that in your life. To be one of those strong people who untethers your happiness from health or wealth. It's so liberating when you can stop making how you feel dependent upon things lining up that you don't even have control over. Because you know what? You might live with someone who's a real jerk. Or at work, it's just super boring. Or school's extra hard. Or there's mean people in your life. Or a best friend ghosts you. Or someone who used to be married to is now your enemy. Or people online say things that are politically that make you so angry you want to scream. Or relationship has ended. Or someone has died. Or you don't have the money right now. Or your health went in the basement. Or you have chronic pain. All these things happen. That is real life. And it's to that reality that Paul says we can be joyful. But listen, not if you don't hang your joy on the wires of health or wealth. Because those wires will break. You can lose health and wealth. And even if you don't lose it and you maintain health and wealth and you begin to think that's the source of your joy, you've really settled for something much cheaper and shallow, and you've missed out on real joy. So what are we supposed to do in light of all this? Well, don't tether your circumstances, you know, to, to on the wires of joy. It'll snap. When things get really hard in life, you find yourself in a battle. And guess what? We're always in a fight or a battle of some kind. That's the way life is. When Kathy Rawlings, one of our friends here from Mountain, was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, she found herself in a fight, like everyone finds himself in a fight. There's a solidarity with people who are in a fight, you know, other breast cancer people, they kind of look at each other with that knowing look. The same way like soldiers who went to battle, as we think about Veterans Day, or parents of kids with autism, or, you know, families that have addiction in them. There's like a we're in a common fight. We understand each other. And everyone's in some kind of fight like that, whether it's because you're divorced or you, 
you have depression or whatever, you know. And here's the thing. Everyone's in a fight, but you get to choose your battle weapons. What weapons will you choose? You know, some people, they choose despair. That's how they, that's how they fight. They, they choose cynicism or complaining. They just complain about everything. That's, that's the only thing they know to do. Or they try to get control of everything that they'll never control. Or they deny it and they say it's not that bad. Or they just are grumpy all the time. And they spew bitterness on everyone they're around. You know what Kathy said when she got her diagnosis? She says, I'm going to fight back with joy. And you can choose that weapon too. Every cancer treatment she went to, she had on a different t-shirt that talked about the joy of the Lord or something like that. She just said, I'm going to do my best to fight back with joy. And I got a whole load of them in my phone. Every time she went, she texted it out. Same thing with, um, with my wife's sister, Marcia, very dear to us. She's in a similar cancer battle. And every time she went to go line up in those chairs and get that chemo treatment in that room, she played that same song on her phone, The Goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful and you were so good. And she played it and just everyone got stone quiet and all the nurses would come in and just stand in the room while she played that song because I think everybody wants to see what it looks like when you have something bad but you still have what? Joy. Is it possible? Well, Jesus did it. Were those people sad sometimes? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. But in the midst of it all, instead of waiting for circumstances to change, they found something that transcended their circumstances. It was constructed of a faith that is beyond the current situation. And whatever you're going through, my friend, and you're going through some kind of fight right now, you can fight back with joy too. Because joy is a gift, but it's also a choice. And it comes down to your relationship with God. The more available you make yourself to Jesus Christ, the more joy will be available to you. That's why when Paul talks about us being open to God and receiving like the, the gift of God's Spirit in us, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Like, what happens if God gets inside you? Love is all of them, and then it spews out its children joy, peace. Joy is the first thing that comes out of the fruit of the Spirit's love. Jesus comes in, joy comes out. It's a gift from God. And joy is more important than most of us realize, more available than most of us can appreciate because we're so used to joyless living. Listen, Pain is inevitable, my friends, but misery is optional. You can't avoid pain, but you can avoid joy. And some people spend their lives practicing being unhappy. They think some sort of happiness is right around the corner, but not today. I got all these problems and all these circumstances that are so bad. And, and we just learn like to get more mileage from having people feel sorry for us or listening to us complain than from choosing joy. So don't hang your joy on the line of health or wealth or happiness because if you're waiting for your circumstances to improve and the kids are grown or whatever, it's just not, it's just, a, it's flimsy. Now here's something else. Joy is free, friends, but it ain't cheap. What do I mean by that? 
It's free because it's a gift of grace and, and we get to experience it, but it's not cheap, meaning, you know what, most joy we come at in life comes at a cost of some kind of hardship. And we all know this, don't we? Like it's the hardest things you go through in life, you come out the other side and you've got a kind of joy and, and, and deep, like you lived, you did something and you feel a deeper joy than you ever will just trying to avoid sweating. Joy's price tag is endurance and faithfulness and even some sorrow and loss along the way because our cup of joy can only be as deep as our cup of sorrow. It's just the way it works. Joy has more to do with who you are than what you have. It has more to do with, with the healthiness of your attitude than it does the health of your actual body or your finances. And, and this is why difficult trials, even pain, can be gateways to joy, even the hard things in our life. And this we experience all, all the time, that God will use a struggle in your life or an experience that you would never experience joy without it. So instead of chasing after the worldly version of happiness to get a little temporary fix, we can just remember Jesus who said, you know what, if you want to find your life, give it away. The best life is not found in trying to sort of avoid any contact with other people. It's like give your life away. Serve your guts out. Get off the couch. Get out the house. Instead of clutching at it, you know, make life an adventure and, and serve like Jesus did. When people come back from our go trips, you know, as they come back from Kenya or something, they get off that bus. They've been on the plane for two days or whatever. Their hair is matted down. Their breath is bad. They need a shower. They just look like a mess, and they're all so exhausted. And you start getting them talking about it. Like, what'd you do? Oh, man, it was so hard. We were sleeping in this bed, or I had to eat that food, didn't know the language. Well, what'd you do? Well, then their eyes light up. Well, we did this thing with these kids, and we'd, every day we'd teach them these games and these songs. These kids started doing it, and we did this thing. And these people got baptized. The church got started. And, and then by the end, they're just like, man, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. But then someone will eventually say, this is the best kind of tired I've ever had. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. This is, a, this is the good kind of tired. I, I hope you have the best kind of tired you've ever felt sometime soon. Not from overwork or workaholism or just frenetically pursuing some thrill, that's not joy. When you, I hope you get tired and worn out from what the Bible calls joy. And you're not going to find that sitting on a cruise somewhere. Not that that's bad. You're not going to find it playing golf. I mean, pickleball a little, but maybe, you know. <laughs> joy is where you're working and you're giving and you're sharing and you're sweating and you're in the trenches and you're involved in someone's life and you're raising your kids and you're caring about people and you're risking vulnerability and you're digging deep and you're giving something and it makes a difference and you're trying and you're caring and you're crying about it and at the end you say that's the best kind of tired. You want joy? You can't get there just trying to sort of retire early and avoid everything. It's not going to happen. You don't find joy at the end of the rainbow. You don't find joy at the top of the ladder of success. You know how you find it? The way Jesus said, give your life away to something that matters and you will find joy. It's bigger than any circumstance. And Jesus, who for the joy that awaited him, endured the cross. He put up with a cross because he knew the joy was bigger. Same in your life and same in mine. Be joyful always. Let's put the slide up again. We'll wrap this up. Don't confuse joy with happiness. Okay? They're not the same. Don't tether joy 
to your circumstances. And remember, joy is a gift, but it's also a choice. Let me just ask you, is there a situation or a circumstance or maybe a person that you've been allowing to steal your joy? Because you've tethered your outlook to something that's even beyond your control. Just get you behind the wrong car. Could I encourage you to prayerfully ask God what it would look like in your life to untether your happiness and, control, and, and joy from that thing or person and tie it directly to Jesus Christ because he's not changing. And then you can express joy and worship. You can create joy in your life. You can find joy even in pain. And you can choose joy all the time. But you've got to make that choice. Let me leave you with this. Some of you maybe saw the uh, really, really good Netflix series called Quarterback. I don't know if you saw that. It's really good. They follow these quarterbacks around. One of the quarterbacks they follow is my man, Kirk Cousins, who's the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. And they mic him up, and they have this documentary. They follow him around all season, and it's just great because it's a thrilling season. You know, they have all these last-second wins and greatest comeback in NFL history they had and all this stuff. It shows the blood, the sweat, the tears, the hardship, and the struggle to get there, and the season's going great, and it looks like this is our year, and they get to the playoffs, and then it all falls apart in one game against the New York Giants. And in front of millions of people, he walks off the field a loser again. The press comes at him again. You know, he can't win. He's a loser. Trade the guy. Everyone's like, boo on Kirk. And the cameras follow him into his house as he's going to put his little boys who greet him at the door to bed. They watch their daddy fail in front of millions of people. He tucks him into bed like he does every other night. And he says a little prayer with them. And then as the lights go out, he begins to sing. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand There's a man who knows what joy is. And I'm not just saying that because he's got the right logo on his jersey. I'm saying that because there's a guy who's got the right Jesus in his heart. And I want to be like that. And I think you do too. And think of the lesson he's teaching those boys. I love that. I lost a game, but all is not lost. A lot of people don't think very highly of me right now, but their opinion is not what matters most to me. And yeah, Daddy didn't perform very well today. But it's not my performance that determines my worth or my joy or my value because my foundation is not winning a game or what people think or how I perform. It's what Jesus has already done that matters and what he has to say. And last I checked, the grave is still empty and death has still lost and my past is still forgiven. My future is still secure. He's still on the throne. And whatever happens to my money, my fame, my joy, my family, you know, when everything is shifting sand, I can still cling to the rock that is higher than I. His name is Jesus. He's our foundation, which is why he could say, why I can say, and why you can say, I will be joyful always. God, help us to get this right. It's so hard for us. We sometimes just want to settle for having a happy moment and then post it so people think we're happy. 
create in us a deeper hunger for the joy that you've actually created us for. Help us practice for heaven by giving like Jesus gives, serving like Jesus serves, so we can have the good kind of tired and untether our happiness from our circumstances and anchor it on Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen.